Hey, this is Mike Wright, and you're listening to my chapter of As the Story Grows. Welcome to the next chapter of As the Story Grows. I'm Brad Patton. This week, I'm excited to welcome Ironside and Fighting Jack's guitarist, Mike Wright, to the show. Mike was also the guitarist in BD Rocket Records band, Frito Boat. Mike and I chat about the BD Rocket scene, Tooth and Nail's in-between era, getting lost on the roster, and his new project, Ironside. It was great reaching out to Mike and getting to hear about his background and musical history. I knew all the various pieces he'd been involved in, but not that there was a constant running through all the bands. I wanted to thank everyone who continues to support the show on Patreon. It means a lot to me, and I promise I'm working on some cool content coming soon for Patreon members. If you enjoyed this week's episode, tell someone else who might like it. Give us a rating and review on iTunes. Help us spread the word. All right. Enjoy this week's chat with Mike Wright. You sent me down a rabbit trail last night when you uh, told me you were in Frito Boat, and I I just went on a deep dive through BD Rocket bands after that. Yeah, dude, it's been a long time. That was like a that was a while ago, but it was cool. It was a cool era. Did you know like those bands, BD Rocket bands back in the day? Oh yeah, I I owned Hindsight Twenty Twenty um, at one point, and yeah, sick of change and Noggin Toboggan, Watashiwa, Mike David. I was I was into all those bands. Yeah, we were like one of the first bands. I think we were the first or second band on the label. Um, we the guy, um, the the owner Philip Fonretta was was uh, he he was starting a label and he met us and we were at seventeen, maybe eighteen. I don't even know if we were eighteen. We we're all like sixteen, seventeen, and just didn't even know like what we were doing. You know, we were just like. This is fun. Let's see a band. And uh, we kept, like, finding, we kept finding random kids from like our youth group and stuff that we knew. Like, oh, you play an instrument, you know? Let's, you know, you can play in our band too. We, I think we had like nine people at one point. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's amazing. So, where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bay Area, in uh, San Jose, California, it's like the Silicon Valley area. Um, you know, it's like, uh, about an hour south of San Francisco in Oakland. Definitely, uh, pretty suburban, pretty mellow. Like, it's pretty crazy there now, but it was like pretty mellow growing up. Just like, uh, you yeah. know, normal suburbs and kind of like semi-quiet city. That's cool. What got you into music? I mean, when I was really young, like, my parents weren't into music at all. And not really, you know, like, I, I, my parents would like sing in the church choir and stuff, but there weren't like, there was not like tons of music on in the house or anything like that. It was like, uh, 
when I got to, you know, I would have like, I think I had a couple of, uh, Petra tapes, of like Stephen Curtis Chapman, that kind of stuff. And, uh, um, eventually I was really into like early 90s hip hop and rap as a, as an early teenager. And, um, there was like an era where a bunch of new alternative rock or grunge stuff came out in 1991, 92. And, uh, was, got super into it from that. Um, and then we kind of moved to like punk and hardcore like a year or two later. So, uh, it was, um, you know, one of the first memories I have of that was like there was a, uh, a radio, a local radio station that would play Christian, uh, rock music, like one or two, I think it was like two hours a week on this special show. And, uh, I just happened to randomly turn the radio on at night, one night. And I think the first two songs I heard was like a Starflyer song from Off of Silver and then MXPX. And I was just like, what is this? This is amazing. So it was, uh, those were like kind of my jumping off point. That was like in the same, at the same time as like, you know, Nirvana and Green Day and all those bands were coming out. So definitely, uh, made a big, make a big impact on me. I was, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to play guitar like right off the bat. So I, I just like, I, you know, borrowed my dad's acoustic guitar and then eventually kind of saved up and bought some cheap gear and just like, you know, just play like Nirvana songs for like eight hours a day. So. That's awesome. Was it just the sound of the guitar that drew you to it, or, or that image of like Kurt Cobain? <laughs> no, I don't even know. I think it was just like the sound of the guitar. It was like um, it just seemed. I, I knew when I was when I was really young. I I was like I I don't know anything about playing music. Um, I wasn't really like uh, inspired by like church music that, that I grew up singing. I was just like I don't know if I want to sing or anything. But then when I heard some you know, big guitar uh, songs. I was like, wow, I gotta. That's really what I want to do. And I, I think it was. Uh, I remember. I remember going to like Guitar Center um, when I was like 13, and I think somebody was like playing Nirvana on the guitar. You know, like Guitar Center, it's just like people just play the same crap over and over again. Yeah. It's either like Inner Sandman or Nirvana or something. And I remember uh, hearing like someone playing like. Smelled like King Spirit, and I was like, "Wow, it would be amazing to someday be able to play, you know, something like that on my own. That'd be so cool." <laughs> but um, so yeah, so just I and then the early, uh, I think it was Smashing Pumpkins and Starflyer were like the, the main ones that really got me into wanting to to play guitar. It was like those those big, huge, uh, fuzzy chords and that real kind of spacey sound that was like, wow, that's super inspiring and I just wanted to learn as much as I could. Roughly, what age was this? Uh, it's when I was like I think about 13, probably 14 so like the early 90s really early 90s. It was pretty much like right when Tooth and Nail started right when uh, uh, right when it was the jumping point of like Christian alternative like that was the high that of alternative that I like, at least. That's cool. When did you start playing in bands? Um, I, well, I, not till I think we started Frito Boat. That was my first band. Um, it was about uh, 1997, I think. We, uh, a couple guys, uh, 
I met I met um, the bassist Corey at uh, this like Christian uh, camp, and we didn't know each other before then, but we we realized we lived like in the same town, and uh, I had been talking to my friend from church that played drums, and we were like, hey, we should start a band, and I think that the uh, the consensus was that everybody kind of likes ska music and and uh, <laughs> like punk rock. And so like, all right, well, let's try to be a ska band. We don't really know. We, you know, we had heard like, uh, I think we heard like uh, Supertones and No Doubt and like No Effects or something. And that was all we had heard at the time. You know, we were just so young. We were like, we didn't really know like what genres were necessarily. We were just like, this is awesome. Let's try to do it. <laughs> and so we we had you know we had like a couple of friends, different horns, or we you know we had like two different guys that would sing and trade off, and uh, it was just kind of ridiculous. But we started uh, started uh, no there was no there was no venues or anything that we knew about. There was no Christian bands or anything that we knew. So we just we decided to like put on our own shows at our youth group building. Um, for a while, so that was, that was kind of the jumping off point. There had been more and more bands, like the, our kids that we knew were starting bands, and they're like, hey, let's do this. We don't, you know, it seems like fun. <laughs> and then you know, eventually, we met the, we met, um, yeah, Philip Bonretta, the guy that started Betty Rocket Records, came to us and was like, I'm starting a record label, and we were just like, wow, this is so crazy. Um, so we, we started uh, we, st- we started with table. We would play like regional shows, like we would travel all around um, and play different shows. And I think one of the first shows that we played on uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't really a tour, but it was like a couple hours out of the way. It was down in, in San Luis, and it was with Noggin Toboggan. And uh, and so those guys became our close friends right off the bat. And I think they were like the second or third band. On Betty Rocket too, so it was like a pretty small, uh, small group of guys. We ended up, we'd always play uh, the closest cities to play were like Sacramento or Stockton or San Luis. So that's how we got in touch with like uh, the like David guys and English Unsaid, and uh, you know we would we would uh, go down to LA and we played the Sick of Chains and a bunch of those guys. So it kind of became like it was like. The different bands that we would play with or, uh, you know, and become friends for the next couple bands that would be on Betty Rocket and then it kind of just kept growing. <laughs> there was, there was a show that, that we, I remember we played, um, when, uh, the Betty Rocket owner wanted to see English Unsaid. And so he set up a show and it was, uh, that we were the opener. It was free, so it was Frito Boat and then English Unsaid and then Training for Utopia. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the weirdest, uh, you know, weirdest opening band slot, like a kind of a goofy uh, ska band, you know, opening for those guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we always kind of tried to. I think we were all into like hardcore bands, and so we always tried to throw these kind of like weird hardcore breakdowns into our into our like pop punk ska songs. You know, but it was definitely a pretty weird match. (laughs) 
Where, where did that name Frito Boat come from? We, we were just trying to think of like goofy names. I mean, we were just, we were you know young yeah. and we we were just we were into there was um there was some other uh, local ska bands in the Bay Area that were that kind of had like some some funny names and like there was a band that we were really into called the Voodoo Glow Skulls and uh, there was just it seemed like there was a lot of things that were kind of goofy like came out of like kind of goofy stuff and so we were like just, someone said uh, something about a Frito boat or a Frito pie and, and we just thought that was funny I don't know where we came up to it it was, it was definitely regretful later on <laughs> as the yeah. band got a little more as we got older and we you know we started trying to write you know songs that we were a little more serious about it was kind of like a a regret that we had such a goofy name, um, but you know, whatever. We were we were young, and, you know. You live and you learn, you know. <laughs> what led to uh, you guys dropping the ska sound with the end of the beginning? We were, um, you know, like we had played. Uh, we had been on tour um, in 1999 for most of the summer and and fall, and we played at uh, uh, Cornerstone. And we played, uh, we just played all over and we were like all these bands that we saw, we were just way more influenced by, you know, a lot of that like 90s, uh, skate punk or new school punk stuff, uh, kind of fat records. Um, I think we saw, uh, at Cornerstone, we, there was, uh, Comeback Kid was brand new. I think they played there. And then also, um, uh, we saw Hope Fall and we just, and we saw like all these bands, uh, stretch out strong and all these bands that we were just like, super pumped on and uh, at the end of our tour the the play the horn players in the band were like one of the guys was going to go off to college and he was going to quit and the other, the other guys were just kind of over it and we and we uh we were kind of tired of the scoff in in general so we didn't have to kick anybody out it was kind of like hey we're not really feeling the scoffing and everyone's like that's fine we're going to do other things and uh so we were just went full on into that uh that that punk thing and just tried to do you know, we, we wrote a whole new record and we're just super into it. Um and it, we were trying to go uh full time. We I mean we did I guess we did we toured like West Coast uh that on for like a year on that new record and did a full US tour and then uh at the end of that a couple guys were just like gonna go off to college and uh so it wasn't like there was no bad blood when we broke up or anything. We just decided like, hey, we're just uh, gonna try some different things. A couple people weren't into it, so it was uh, kind of dissolved. What was uh, being on BD Rocket like? Because it was kind of a label in the shadow of Tooth and Nail. I know a lot of those bands. Um, you know, Watashiwa, I mean, Eager Seas ended up on Tooth and Nail, Fighting Jacks, which was 
not not really a side project, but you know, um, had a lot of similar members to Fruit Obo ended up on Tooth and Nail, um, kind of in in the this new label in the shadow of Tooth and Nail. What was it like being on BD Rocket at the time? Was it just new and exciting to be part of the scene? Or yeah, I mean, it was at first we didn't really know. I mean, it seemed like like Tooth and Nail was kind of it seemed like a bigger like a like a bigger label than something we'd ever be on. Um, yeah. And then just knowing like the guy, the owner was, you know, lived locally near where we lived and was like, you know, pretty involved in like bands within California and, you know, was really willing to like take a chance on people and like, um, was wanting to sign a lot of the bands that we were friends with. So we definitely like, there, there definitely wasn't the, the budget, you know, like there wasn't the budget for recordings or for art, album artwork or anything like that, like Tooth and Nail had, but um, we had like a really good family vibe with the label and with the other bands, so it was really fun. I mean, we didn't really, we never were like sad about it. I mean, I think we probably had a better deal, you know, there was not a lot of pressure, um, you know, on selling records or like, uh, you know, there wasn't like a lot of stress or pressure from anybody with the label at all. It was just like, you know, be a good band, we'll do our best to put your record out. So I know that there was like a, you know, there was a few other labels that we knew bands from that were kind of on the same level as Betty Rocket um, at the time. I think like Bulletproof and maybe one or two other labels that we knew a lot of bands from. So we kind of were like the, you know, the lower on the totem pole than Tooth and Nail, but it didn't really Welcome to the classroom every day Where you can learn how to be a slave Silence your integrity Decrease your mentality We'll be okay Got left off this desk So Fighting Jacks, I mean, it featured Corey, it featured you and Mike. Um, how'd that project come together? Well, that was um, when we actually, it's actually Casey, the original guys, all all of us were from Frito Boat. Um, the case, oh, Casey, yeah. the singer of Fighting Jacks, he originally had played guitar like in the very early stages of Frito Boat. And uh, he's Corey's older brother. Um, and then uh, the drummer, Mike Hoppy, that was the drummer for Frito Boat. He also was the first drummer for Fighting Jacks. So we, we had, when we broke up, um, with Frito Boat, we were kind of just like, like Corey and I were the ones that wanted to keep going, um, uh, with Frito Boat. And we were going to actually change our band name to, uh, Call of Elijah. We had been like writing a bunch of new stuff that was definitely closer to, you know, along the lines of like Comeback Kid or Vice or, I mean, it was definitely a lot more on the, in the hardcore punk theme. And, um, when no, when the other guys didn't want to keep going with the band, we were like, we got to do something. And we, uh, we knew that, uh, Corey's brother Casey had been writing some songs and, uh, you know, started jamming and we were like, all right, let's, let's try to do something different. It was definitely a different vibe, uh, than what we had been going with Frito Boat. We were pretty excited about it. There was a lot of, you know, a lot of new music that we had been really into that year. Um, there's a lot of, a lot of it's like the 20th anniversary right now, you know, like 
I think yeah. it's like the soundtrack, the soundtrack for our, for our summer tour in our van is like Deftones, White Pony, and, uh, At the Drive-In, and, and Jimmy World Clarity, and there was, uh, Sunny Day Real Estate, um, had just put a new record out that year, and then, uh, I think it, there was like a face-to-face, face-to-face is one of our favorite bands too, and they put out this record called Ignorance is Bliss, which is like, Totally like a, an awesome rock record uh, that stepped away from that pop punk sound that they had, and then most of their fan base hated it, and we were like really bummed yeah. about that because that was like our. So that was kind of like we really wanted to go in that direction. Like, you know, we were huge fans of like the Foo Fighters and kind of more more serious pop punk, you know, more like Jawbreaker and and uh, you know face to face to face and some of those kind of bands that were you know, really influential to us. So we started trying to like go in that direction a little more, a little more dark, you know, a little more dark and like not just, uh, no, no, you know, not a lot of humor, kind of like serious and straightforward and kind of like as a reaction against what we were doing. How'd you guys get connected with Tooth and Nail? We well, we were, um, we've been playing like, we hadn't done like a full US tour or anything at that point. We've been playing like all up and down the West Coast, um, you know, down all the way to San Diego, all the way up to like Oregon, Seattle, uh, or Portland, all through Oregon, Washington, a lot. Um, and we were really good friends. We've been playing a lot with um, this band Ember, which is which went on to be, you know, some of the guys from A Beautiful Mistake. Um, so I can't remember exactly when they switched from Ember to Beautiful Mistake, but we played a lot with them. And uh, I got a call. We had put out a, we put out, uh, two EPs on our own. We're just touring. We were just trying to figure out what we wanted to do. Um, and, uh, I got a call from Bill Power in Tooth and Nail and he was like, Hey, I, I talked to Josh from, from Beautiful Mistake and he gave me your guys, uh, EP and he said, I really dig it. Let's, let's talk. So that was pretty sweet. We were stoked, especially because I knew Bill Power from, I was a big Blenderhead fan and Tooth and Nail fan since I was, you know, 13 years old. So it was like, whoa, this is crazy. This guy is contacting us. Um, and, uh, we, uh, we went, we went up and played, um, up in Seattle and met Bill Power and he was super stoked and we just were like, this, this is amazing. This is going to be such an awesome experience if you, if, you know, they want to sign us. And so we were just, uh, touring and keeping in touch with him and then like I don't I guess a whole bunch of stuff went down and through the nail and Bill Bill ended up leaving and we were like, Are we still talking to the nail? We don't really we didn't really know what was happening. <laughs> oh man. It was kinda weird. Yeah, we had already like been talking and big trying to figure out like a plan with the with the label and then he left and um we went we were we were we were uh, already scheduled to go play. Um there's a festival called Tom Fest up in Oregon that Mikey Bridges would put on. And mm-hmm. uh so we would play that every year. That was like in in September of every year or something. We would play that every year. And we went up there and um played and then uh Chad and Brandon came to the fest that year and were and saw us play finally and then talked to us about a deal. I think that was like we were really good friends with Kashiwa obviously and then uh, we were we were really good friends. We played a bunch of shows with um, 
the death campaign, which was, you know, the guys, the officer negative guys had like a metal band that they were doing mm-hmm. for a while. And, um, I think all three of us played at Tomfest that year, if I'm not mistaken. And that, uh, and Chad and Brandon were there to see all three of us. So after the, after we played, they're like, Hey, let's, let's work out the deal. Let's do it. Did the label hook you guys up with Sylvia Massey or was that something uh, you guys wanted to pursue? Well, we, I think we were, we were, um, we, we had a management company at the time that was, that was pretty sweet. They were actually from our town. Um, and they, before we were a band or anything, definitely, uh, they, they had, uh, signed this band, you know, the band Smash Mouth, which is like, you know, they were pretty, they're from San Jose too. They're from our hometown. And, uh, so they, they had signed Smash Mouth and so they got really big as a management company and they were working with us. Um, and we're, you know, we originally had talked to some different labels and we were talking to Tooth and Nail and we were like, we really want to sign Tooth and Nail. And they were the ones that got in touch with Sylvia. I know that originally we were, um, Tooth and Nail wanted us to go and record with Aaron Sprinkle up in Seattle. And, but I think his late, his studio wasn't ready yet or maybe it was brand new. Cause I know he did a ton of great records out of there, but it, it wasn't quite ready yeah. yet or something else was going on. And we said, hey, we, we heard about, um, you know, Sylvia Massey had just moved and built a studio up in Weed, California, which is like up there at the top of California by Shasta and had a new studio that was awesome. And so we checked it out and it just worked out great. We were, we were super happy to go up there. Uh, spent a couple of weeks up there in the winter. It was super snowy and, uh, recorded the record. There was a, the the studio had an apartment above there that we got to, got to live in for a couple of weeks. So it was it was amazing. It was awesome. Cool experiences with her, like you know, hearing a lot of stories of all the old bands she's recorded and working with Rick Rubin. It was it was it's a once in a lifetime experience. the nail records like at that time because you guys you know amber lynn's first record bleach is on the label it your record came out right before emory's debut right before they're only chasing safety i mean you were right at this pivot point before the label like not being not just being big in the christian scene but being big in the underground punk and emo scene what was what was that moment like you know it was in some ways it was it was amazing in some ways it was it was not great for us uh either it was it was weird because um going into it it seemed like okay we're going to get you know on to a lot of these tours our records going to come out it's going to be amazing um and what happened what ended up happening was that i know that um there was a lot of people that had like that worked a tooth and nail that left there's a lot of kind of uh there's a lot they had signed a lot of bands at the same time um and, you know, we were working with Chad Johnson, who's, who's awesome. I mean, we love Chad Johnson. Um, and, uh, we, the whole time we were with him, with 
to him at Tooth and Nail. He was great. He was our A&R guy. But, there, you know, there was a lot of bands that were coming out at that time that were already a lot bigger than us. Um, yeah. And, you know, Ch- you know, Chad was the A&R guy for, like, you know, Further Teams Forever and, and Under Oath and, and Anne Berlin and a lot of bands who were kind of, like, already bigger, you know, already at a certain level. And um, so it was a little tricky for us to get, you know, on as many tours, as many things as we would have liked to. Uh, the music, music in general at the time was kind of weird too because, you know, there was, that was like the explosion of like the screamo, uh, sound at the time. So everyone was, you know, not necessarily heavier music than Fighting Jack, but there was a lot more like that kind of like, um, if you, you know, people were, were really only into your band if you were, you know, screaming all the time and had a lot of, uh, kind of like that, you know, the, it was really, you know, really popular to flail around, and it was kind of that, you know, that the crazy live show. And then, uh, yeah. you know, at the same time, there was, you know, like, Watashi Wa was one of our great friends. Um, there was a lot of bands like Copeland and Watashi Wa and, 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 and bands coming out that were a lot softer, too, than we were, you know. So we were kind of in the middle of, you know, being a lot heavier of a rock band and having, you know, like, some riffs and having some you know, big choruses than, than those kind of softer, uh, indie bands, but we weren't heavy enough at all for, you know, the, the, the screamo and the, and the, the stuff that was huge at the time too. So we were kind of in the, you know, a little bit lost in the shuffle here and there. We ended up doing a lot more touring with like, uh, with punk bands during that time. So that was awesome. We, we did a lot of touring with Dogwood, uh, who were just, amazing guys took us out all on different tours and it it was it was great i mean it, we we would have liked to be on there longer i think there was a lot of bands that got signed um at the time that we did and uh and then a lot of bands just got dropped before we had to put out an record so you know we didn't get a you know i don't know if it was turnover at the label or if it was uh you know just too many bands or, or what but you know before we even had, we were demoing a bunch of new songs and, uh, and, and recording and, and touring and, and everything. And then we just got to notice like, hey, we, gotta, we didn't even get like a call. We just got to notice that like, you're no longer on the label. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. that's, that sucks. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was interesting. I mean, we, we, uh, we had a, a pretty rough year. I think it was like we, we we had been touring. We got off the tour. We found out that we got dropped by the by tooth and nail, and then um, we did a couple more shows on the road, and we got back. And then our van and trailer got stolen. Like all of our gear got stolen. <laughs> we were just like, wow, this has been a rough year. So it kind of set us back for a while. And you know, at that point, you know, people just, people were starting to get married, and and uh, you know just doing different things. And, and, uh, so it's kind of like, it wasn't the end of, of Jack, but it kind of was like definitely put, put him in for a while. I know you've put out, uh, I mean, fighting Jack's put out a second full length and you've done other projects since then. But I mean, there was a, a period of time there where, uh, I mean, did you do anything between like 2006 and you know, 2000 and been 14 or so musically? Not really. I mean, we, we had been recording um, our. We we started recording the Fighting Jack second full length. We just recorded it ourselves, um, 
with a with a friend of ours who has a studio in San Jose, and so we were we're slowly working on that. Um, all of uh, all the guys in the band were uh, getting married. Uh, our drummer, actually, our drummer David, um, he started going. He joined the band Sherwood, so he went on the road mm-hmm. with those guys. Um, um, he recorded all the stuff for the record, and then he went on the road with those guys. And then we were just slowly working on it. Um, it took a while to like buy some gear, you know, kind of get back on its feet after after that had happened. And then um, we were, you know, not really. I mean, what mostly was just, you know, us doing our own things. Uh, I, I don't have any kids, but you know, Casey had a couple kids. Um, Corey got married. Uh, and then uh, we didn't really have like a drummer. Uh, we had, you know, we were jamming with a couple different guys, and then we would play a few shows here and there when Dave was off uh, tour with Sherwood, and uh, you know, slowly working on a record. But it definitely took a, a, quite a few years of a break. Uh, I actually went back to school. Uh, I had, you know, it was kind of weird, you know, when you're like on tour and doing music since you're like. 17 until you're 26 or 27 and you're just like, what am I doing with my life? You know, you kind of have a little bit of a a weird life crisis kind of thing going on. So, you know, I went back to school, actually started working uh, as a staff for a few years. I went to culinary school and learned, uh, you know, how to run a restaurant, how to do uh, a lot of catering. I was doing that full time um, for a few years. And, uh, you know, and then we started, uh, doing music again, but it actually, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of life transitions, you know, we all had to find careers and figure out what we wanted to do outside of music. You know, you had to change your, your identity from being, you know, Mike Wright, the, you know, the guitarist guy that's in bands as his job to, you know, being a, being a husband and, you know, having to find full-time work and, have to figure out what you want to be your career. Uh, it took a little while. It was definitely a tough transitional period. decade on Bandcamp in 2017. Did you find uh, that there were fans still interested in what you were doing who wanted to hear it or uh, reintroducing yourself to new people? We we definitely, um, there was definitely a good amount of people that were into it. Um, the local scene in the Bay Area had changed a lot in, in 10 years. There wasn't, like, all the venues we used to play out were gone. A lot of the, a lot of the people um that would go to shows were just either not they're not into music anymore or there wasn't there wasn't really any kind of a scene that people went to uh, or were part of anymore at the time um, so it was a little different you know we um, we finally put out the record we put a lot of uh, effort into putting out the record and making it sound as good as we could possibly make it and um, uh, and and so we played some shows and we were just like let's let's start doing this thing and um 
right after that, Corey was like, "Hey, I'm hey guys, I'm moving to France." <laughs> he and his wife has family there, and they were he had a job opportunity to go to France and uh, be a beer brewer for this uh, for this company over there, and so he he moved and. That was pretty much it. We it was just we we decided like all right we're not gonna you know try to fill the shoes of another guy and you know Casey Casey was working full time I was working full time uh, it was just uh, just easier that way just to kind of like instead of putting we started to try to put a lot of effort in and just realized it's not it's not something that's gonna happen uh, so we it's, it's kind of like all she wrote as far as that goes I and mean, we still talk about putting out some new, you know, new music. We have some new song ideas here and there, but it's tough with uh, people's schedules and different, uh, you know, life commitments in that area. about uh mercy high which um is a super cool ep yeah yeah um that was there was that was a band that um a couple guys uh and i started in San Jose area and uh we were we we just were playing locally and I, our, our goal was just to be like the, the coolest local band to open up for different bands that came through San Jose came through the bay area and uh it was actually uh, my friend Joppo's, you know, I know he's a long-time listener of the podcast. He's been in the scene a long time. And a couple other local guys that are like old uh, music scene veterans from the San Jose and the Bay Area. And so we, we started playing around for a while. It just uh, was tough. Every guy in the band was in multiple bands. And uh, we, we actually, we were trying to kind of go for that. Our, one of our big influences was Starflyers, all the records. We were kind of going for that, like, Starflyer, uh, shoegaze, heavy rock, uh, kind of like, fuzzy rock riff kind of thing. But, uh, yeah. you know, people were, you know, the drummer we were playing with, Dave, he was in, uh, like, four other bands, and Joppa was in <laughs> a couple other bands, and Keith and I, you know, I had started doing the Ironside, uh, band, you know, I was working on those songs and, you know, going down to the, the, to the LA area, work, you know, work on those tunes. And our bassist was, you know, in multiple bands too, and it was just crazy. So it was just really hard for us to like even get together to practice. And, you know, the guys were spreading out, moving, you know, our job moved up to Oakland. So that's like, you know, hour and a half from San Jose and it was tough. So we never really broke up. It was just like, Hey, we can't. Nobody could ever figure out a good time to get together to do it. So uh, definitely, yeah. I, I definitely wanted to. We definitely had a lot of songs that we were gonna, that were ready to put out for that band, and just didn't didn't, uh, didn't see fruition on that one, unfortunately. But at the time, I was like already my, my main goal was like already, you know, doing the Ironside uh, stuff. That was my baby that that I started on my own. You know, it's like every band. Uh, Every band that I 
been in that I always kind of wished it was like heavier and a little more had a little more metal influence and a little more like a like a riffy influence and uh, so I just started like if, if if I can't get the full band of guys together I'm just gonna you know start re- writing recording songs on my own write all the parts and uh, try to figure out um, uh, my good friend Dave Mass he was a uh, He's the he was formerly from the band Echocast and from Redline, so he's he's in a couple okay. bands like from you know since the mid '90s, and we they were like the band that Fighting Jack toured with a lot. That was our closest friend band, and um, we had like a really strong kinship about in metal music. So you know, Dave and I were always like every band, every you know. Compared to the other guys in our bands, we always liked metal bands, um, you know, more than they did. And we were always just talking about metal and, like, our love for, like, you know, Pantera and, and Mystina and all these, like, bands that no, no one else, no one in our bands were into at all. So <laughs> it was, uh, it was, just when we were, we, we were, we would still keep in touch. Like, even though he lived down in LA and I lived in the area. We go down and hang out. Our wives were friends, and we just like hang out and talk about music. And we were always like, "We should do a band," you know. It's kind of like a joke. And uh, we originally were like, "Let's do some kind of weird avant-garde metal band where, you know, he would do like a, I would do a bunch of crazy, you know, guitar things, and he would, you know, do a bunch of noise, noisy Mike Patton vocals over the top or something." And, <laughs> and uh and then we started then I when I actually started writing music and he started doing vocals for the songs, it was like oh, this is actually like you know, a lot catchier and you know and more uh, you know, rock oriented than we originally originally thought it was gonna be, but the way it goes. <laughs> What's the future of Ironside look like? I know everything got locked down and crazy this year, but what's what's the future? You guys have a few singles out right now. Yeah, we we have like um, we we you know we were finally putting our live band together. Um, I know you talked to Neil a while back. Neil's playing guitar for us, uh, and the uh, yeah, Neil Samoy used to be from State Baker and, and uh, all those bands, you know, and then. Um, we have our, our, our the, the guy that we were, that was doing our mixing, his name's Josh Newell, and he's actually a amazing metal producer and rock producer and, and also a bassist. So he's been playing bass for us, uh, live. And Corey from Fighting Jacks actually played bass on the, the songs that we have out right now, but he's in France now, obviously, so. You know, we, we're kind of like a collective as a band, uh, as far as the recordings goes. We, we have, a uh, our, the drummer that played on our record, uh, his name's Miles McPherson. He's out of Nashville. He's an amazing studio drummer and, uh, one of our close friends. Um, and then, uh, you know, lo- locally, we're, our, our friend Jason, uh, 
who's the former Echo Cast drummer is playing with us. And then we, we, we even played a show with Lance for Living Sacrifice last year because we didn't have, uh, our local guy couldn't do it. And we, we were just really good friends with him through, you know, different shows and different things. And, and he was like, I really want to play with you guys. So <laughs> we're trying to figure out like who, you know, depending on where we play in the future, that, that it'll kind of depend on who plays live with us. Um, and Dave, Dave, Dave and I worked on, uh, originally he got an offer to work on this cruise called Motorhead Motorboat, which is, um, it was a metal cruise that was, uh, it was back in 2014 and it was leaving from, uh, from Florida going to Mexico and it was, you know, Motorhead and, uh, and Anthrax played on it and, uh, Testament and, uh, Down and Corrosion of Conformity and all these different bands were playing on it. And that was totally like, kind of like relit a fire in us to be a band again. And want to play live and like really work on our craft, like work at, work at our, you know, work on our singing and our playing and try to be the best musicians that we could. And, um, the next year, I think a year or two later, we, we worked on a cruise together, uh, which is a ship rock cruise, which is a little more like main, uh, mainstream, uh, metal and radio rock. And, uh, one of the bands was that they always would bring like one random band on the cruise and a living sacrifice played on it. So we were, we were like crazy. So the whole week we just hung out with Bruce and Lance and, and all the other guys in the band and, you know, we're just like pumped to, you know, know, meet these guys and actually get to know them. And, um, you know, so just kind of like through working on these cruises and, 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 uh, you know, being at a place in our lives where we can actually like work on music again and, ha- and put a lot more time and effort into it and actually, you know, put money into it too. You're not being, not being like broke, you know, as like a, you know, a kid who's just getting off the tour, but just being an older person is like, you know, this is really one of what I want to do um, in my free time. And it's, it's passionate, but it's not something I'm like relying on. So it's been, uh, it's been pretty sweet. We, we actually had uh, we had a lot of stuff planned this year. We were, we had a bunch of shows that we were going to play, um, and we had uh, you know, a bunch of new music to put out, and we were just kind of like about to do all that, and then you know obviously the the coronavirus and everything happened, so it's been a little different. It's, yeah, it's actually been it's it's been crazy though. It's actually been the most productive uh, for me in like music writing and recording than it ever been in my life the last three months <laughs> so you know i've had i've had so much time to to work on music that i've just been writing tons of songs we've been working on uh tons of new ideas finishing up demos that we had and um so you know we have like a you know like a, a whole nother ep we have a couple songs from the original the original singles we put out we have a song or two that we're gonna put out that's that's from those sessions and we're going to put the whole, the whole, uh, EP out as one, as one thing. And then we actually have a whole new EP of music, um, and then also a, a whole EP of covers that we've been working on too. So, so a lot, a lot hopefully coming out, you know, you know, this year, you know, hopefully we can play again too, but you never know. But, uh, <laughs> 
you know, so, the so, sooner than later, hopefully we can play uh, the shows, but we definitely have a lot of music down the pipe that we're just, uh, you know, finishing up. Awesome to be in a place where uh, music, you know, you're not relying on music. I know during Fighting Jack's days, especially at the end of our time with Tooth and Nail, it became uh, became when it was, you know, things became a job. So it was very stressful trying to make sure you sold albums and you're you're always on the road, always trying to like you know, schmooze with bands so they could take you on the road or get on, get on a show and you have to try to sell albums and. and uh, you know, there was a lot of pressure, and it's pretty awesome now coming from a different point in your life where you're just ready to to uh, just make music purely out of the love for music and the love for playing in band and the love for, you know, for uh, playing guitar and, you know, just trying to challenge myself, like, in, in my songwriting and, uh, you know, do strictly what I want to do with the music that I'm making. It's pretty pretty awesome, and uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't uh, I mean definitely would you know sometimes wish I was on the road again or miss you know miss that lifestyle. But you know having the freedom to make new music uh, with my best friends and you know uh, have it be exactly what I want it to be is pretty it's pretty awesome. I wouldn't trade that at all. So yeah, so I'm pretty stoked. Hopefully uh, you know. Not, it's not the best year, obviously, for everybody, but hopefully it turns out to be a really good year for Ironside moving forward. Here. Thanks for listening to As the Story Grows. Our theme song was written and composed by the legendary Bob Nana. If you like what you hear, subscribe on iTunes and give the show a rating and review. If you'd like to support the show financially, click on the Patreon link at asthestorygrows.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it on social media with your friends. Much appreciated, and thanks for listening. I never thought so.